Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, Ryan McCaffrey with IGN. This is IGN Unfiltered, my monthly or so interview series where I have the privilege of sitting down with the best, brightest, most interesting minds in the games industry. Uh, today is a first. It's the second appearance on IGN Unfiltered for, uh, for anybody. Todd Howard, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you again. Again, yes. Uh, a lot has happened in the world. Uh, a lot has happened. We're in a new studio yes. of yours. So we're here at Bethesda here in uh, lovely Rockville, Maryland. And I uh, appreciate you having us to talk about primarily the 10th anniversary of all this, of Skyrim. It's kind of surreal, yes. right? That you're talking, we're talking about a game we made 10 years ago still. So, yeah. I mean, for, for me and everybody here, it's still like, you know, we can't believe it either. It's getting released again. Again. <laughs> again, that's the running, the running gag. But, you know, people keep playing it. People keep loving it. And, and that's, I, I want to start is, just kind of, you know, how do you feel about Skyrim in hindsight? It's because a lot of developers that I talk to, they, they tend to like after something comes out, like we, the media and the fans might think this is great. We love it. But a lot of developers, as seems to be their nature, seem to at least initially only be able to see the flaws like, oh, well, there's this thing and there's this thing. But now with 10 years of hindsight, I'm kind of curious how you feel about that game in general. Look, we, we love it. We always loved it. When you're making a game, you know, for us, it takes four or five years, sometimes a little longer. You get kind of, I don't want to say sick of it. You get numb to what's good about it because you're dealing with getting it working and trying to make it as good as you can. Right. Um, and then when you get some space away from it, you can really embrace it for what it is. And we just feel incredibly kind of blessed to still have it in our lives. Yeah. And it's taken on this you know, other life with the community. And, you know, obviously we're still doing some things with it, but it's, it's this blessing that we have. And you know, we're talking in the studio the other day and what it means to all of us. And there's people, obviously, there are a lot of people here who made that game. And then there are another group that worked on various different versions of it. But then the new people that have come on in the last few years, it's one of the reasons they wanted to join us. Yeah. And now they're a part of uh, Bethesda. And so I think it will really be a part of us kind of forever. And it's something that um, we really, really feel blessed about. Um, and it, it's incredibly special to still have it be a thing played by millions and millions of people every month. Still one of our top sellers. And it's, it's kind of hard to believe. I mean, the Elder Scrolls is always, each one has been very well liked. They've been extremely successful. And and I, you know, Oblivion was itself this huge leap over Morrowind, uh, certainly in the technology side of things, being a, an early launch window title for the 360 alongside its PC release. So, you know, when, when you're going, when you're trying to go from that and go up, a, level up again with Skyrim, is that like a, as you look back, was that kind of a daunting thing or is it just sort of, do you even really think about it in terms of, do you think about Oblivion at all? The, the game before oh, when sure. you're doing oh, Skyrim. Oblivion was, we were making that as they were making the Xbox 360. So the 
technology jump was very extreme. It's yeah. a very difficult project. Um, and then we roll, we kind of overlap a little bit, and we we went into Fallout 3. And so you talked about how we feel about the previous game. For us, it's always the previous game. We're usually going from a Fallout into a Fallout between Elder Scrolls. Well, we now had you been. do. We had been. to be the case. Yeah. Right. So um, we went from Oblivion into Fallout 3 and then Fallout 3 into Skyrim. Right. But we're on the tail end of kind of that technology window with the 360. And the 360 was kind of our lead platform for Skyrim. But by then, yeah. we had this tech base that was very, very solid where we felt, okay, we can really push it now. We're not starting from zero. Right. And I think Skyrim really benefits from that when you go back to 2011 and see it on the 360. And obviously, we always done PC stuff. Um, but that really gave us a foothold to really push some things in what we wanted to do with the game. You know, massive RPGs now, they're as in as ever, but you guys were certainly uh, been ahead of the curve on sure. that one for a while. But Skyrim really, in all seriousness, is arguably a big reason why these massive role-playing games are as, as in as they are. Like, do you, do you stop, do you think about Skyrim's influence at all? Or is that just not something that you Once allow in, a while, in your head? Hmm, I don't. Once in a while, I'll play a game and I'll see something that is a little bit clearer in terms of, okay, that's how we did that. Or a series that, and it can be something minor. I have a pet peeve in games, like I, and everyone here knows, I don't like uh, mini maps on the screen. So a weird thing where I saw people going to the, the Rose Line style compass like at the top. Yeah. You know, so something like that that you see. Um, uh, I like to play games with mini maps. I just don't like the mini maps because I... I'm playing the mini-map when I play a game. Yeah, I stare at it, it happens, and, and I right? drive yeah. around. Um, so, but there are other things, too, with skill systems or um, certain flows that you can see in other games. But look, that's, that's one of the things that we enjoy, so I don't dwell on it too much, just once in a while. You know, kind of, again, with this benefit of 10 years of hindsight, and you know, you're thinking about it with this anniversary looming, what do you think the team really got right with Skyrim? Sort of what are its biggest strengths? Hmm. I think the tone of the game is really, really strong. There's a lot of fantasy out there, and it's hard to sort of carve your, you see it and you go, oh, that's, that's Skyrim. Um, so we got that right. The other thing is that no matter who you are, if you like video games and you want to you spend a lot of time with one, there's something for you in it. There's a, there's a million ways to play it, and the game really lets you express yourself in it. And I think that's actually, I think it's what's great about video games. Yeah. Okay, so I can say, I think Skyrim does that really well. But I think that's what video games do really well. And the ones that we really enjoy and that we try to make, that there's a space that the creators have made. And then when you come into it, you are making it better. You're giving yourself to it. And then when you put it down, you have different emotions than you do when you're playing a game where a creator kind of drags you along yeah. that you feel something about yourself. You think about it when you go to bed. You come back into it. When you accomplish something, you feel like, look what I did today. Um, and that's a real emotion. And I think that's what makes it so powerful. So how about conversely? What do you think? Was there anything that the team really got wrong or that you still kind of look back and go, uh? <laughs> there are a number of parts of it where we don't go deep enough where it's a, it's a veneer in terms of its interactivity. Yeah. Um, 
look, you can say that about anything, but I think when we think about games and what we would want to do going forward, it's, okay, whatever that system is, you know, how deep can we make it? The other part is the way the AI and the NPCs really react to you. It's something that um, I think we still have a long way to, to go with, but um, those, are, those are probably the main ones. There is a very special concert airing, I guess, in two days from when this interview airs. That's probably got to be surreal to see a big, famous, world-class orchestra be performing something from your game. Yeah, it's something that we've wanted to do kind of for a long time. And uh, we have a group that pulled it off uh, during the pandemic with the London Symphony Orchestra, um, which I always associate with these scores and movies that, that I've always loved. Um, and, and seeing that and hearing it back, it is, I find music is this, is, is a very particular like time travel device. Yeah. Um, where it, it takes you back to those moments. And Skyrim's music um, has always been a part of its identity. We start with music. We use the game, we start, we do concept art, we do interface, we really? do music. That's interesting. I... So um, even Starfield, one of the first things we did was the music. Um, and it sets, as you're drawing things and seeing it on the screen, you put it to the music, it gives you more of a complete feeling of this is the tone of the game. So Skyrim's music is one of the first things that we did. Wow, that's, I never knew that. That's a real, yeah. and I, I feel like a lot of other developers, that's something that comes later. Everybody's got a different process, but I, it totally makes sense that you're wanting to sort of, talking about that feel of the game and the tone of the game. Right. And that's where it comes from. That's, uh, that's really cool. Uh, do you have a favorite Skyrim mod? I hate picking favorites, so I don't want to... somebody's day. Well, there's a number I like. I, on the PC, the UI one is really, really good. There's a, the one I really... This is going to sound stupid. There's one I like where someone added fast travel markers when you bought a house, and it's something that would lit- should really take like an hour. It's one of the things you think, why don't we do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's so many that I... I like the ones that are more systemic. Now, it's sort of... a it's going to sound like a biased pick, but the stuff we did with Creation Club and working with, with those creators, the survival mode, fishing, yeah. I really love when our developers here are working with people in the community um, and, and getting it out there. So I think those have been particularly impactful in the game. Have you ended up hiring any of those people? As a matter of fact, yes. Yeah, I figured yes, a good number of them. It's like, why wouldn't you, right? Like, Look, it's something a lot we're... Of talent out there. There's a lot of talent out there, something we're really passionate about. When you think about the legacy of our games... You know, one of the reasons we're sitting here 10 years later is because of our modding community, Yeah. right? And what they've done with the game. So even though we did all the stuff and you kind of make it your own, you open up this menu and then there's this even larger list of things. Like, okay, how do you want to customize it? What do you want to do? Um, and I think that's fundamental to what we want to do with games where creators can do that. And I think us being active in trying to make it more than a hobby for them, where they can make it their career, yeah. I think is really, really good and something that we're going to continue to do. So when you make a game this big, it's as big so Skyrim, I, what I could find online, uh, allegedly around 30 million copies of Skyrim, which is a, it's, it's it's far, a massive it's, number. It's, it's far more than that, actually. It's far more than yes. that. So uh, like... Not that that's not an enormous number. But it's it, still, yeah. okay, so yeah. Do you allow yourself to enjoy that at any point where you're like, wow, I made a thing that's one of probably the biggest, helped make a thing that's one of the biggest video games of all time. Like, do you, do you allow yourself to enjoy that or is it just sort of like too abstract to even internalize? 
I can't internalize that scale, um, but obviously the success of the game, what it's meant to a lot of people um, who play games or got them through tough times. We do things with the Make-A-Wish Foundation when people want to come here and see what we do. Yeah. So it's not Skyrim specific. It's more, I, I do feel a lot of pride and I see it in the studio when you see your work really give so many people a lot of joy and it's not just us goofing off making fantasy worlds, right? Um, I do think the work, you know, has importance. I think entertainment is important to people's lives. And so that gives you a lot of, um, a lot of pride in, in what you've been able to, to do with it and what you want to do in the future. Are there, any, are there any Easter eggs hiding in Skyrim that no one has found after 10 oh, years gosh. that you want to talk about right now? I, I mean, can't imagine that's the case. <laughs> there's got to be there's something probably, somewhere, right? You know, there's probably dangling threads of cut content. But you know what? The community has been through all of our data so many times. I cannot imagine. <laughs> there's nothing to my knowledge. Let's put it that way. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, it is a very moddable, pick, picked at game. Yeah. <laughs> so it does make sense. Now, all right. Uh, is there a favorite video game child? Is there a favorite Elder Scrolls game out of all of them? Because they're all. What's what I love about the series personally is that they're all different. They're right. like they're like uh, albums in a sense from the same band. Where you know th- there's other than like you know ACDC where it's kind of the same <laughs> album over and over, but you know it's they they each have their own totally different thing they're you know they're not just that's, straight numbered sequels so i'm curious if if any one elder scrolls game it's a great analogy actually you. that's it's a little bit actually we've said that once or twice in the studio where we're gonna do this like what is that oh this is our concept album <laughs> um then the band goes on tour and they drift back to playing the arena hits <laughs> that you wanted um it's important to us we've kind of avoided doing like direct sequels yeah. Which is why also they take so long. And that each of them does have its own identity. And there's something about all of them that, that we love. When someone says, eh, it's usually the first one they play is their favorite. So, like, you guys blew it after Morrowind. You simplified it. Like, <laughs> and then if you played Oblivion, like, it was so much better than Skyrim. Um, and we're okay with that. We say, like, doesn't that upset you? It's like, we made those games too. Um, it's, always, it's always the last one, right? So Skyrim... I think particularly from, you know, a game flow perspective, a game in your hands yeah. that still feels really, really good today. Um, it's, it's, it's probably my favorite as we sit here. Yeah. But there's things about, say, um, you know, I think a lot of the quests in Oblivion is some of our, our best questing. In Morrowind, I like the tone of the world where it's, there are parts of it that are a lot stranger where you feel you feel a bit uncomfortable in it. And I think you can use that to your advantage. Yeah. What's a little bit more mysterious. Um, I love the elegance. We'll go back. I love the elegance of Arena, the very first game. Um, if you play it, it's such a simple game. It knows exactly, it, it's not a simple game, but it's, there's elegance in its design, character system, the flow of it. Um, so I think they each uh, have, have something that's great about them. For me, my... I, I dabbled a touch in Morrowind, uh, but really Oblivion was was my first one, and that's my answer. Right. So I'm, I'm like feeding right into your your data set on that because that the the moment when you step out into the open world in Oblivion is like an all time like instant great gaming memory for me. Yeah, and for the time, it's such a wow moment. Yeah. Given gaming at the time, 
think if you go back and look at it, you're like, ah, it's all right. <laughs> um, but if you go back and play Morrowind, it, it's, it, it can be difficult interface-wise. Um, some other game systems that are very, they're hard to wrap your hands around. It is fair to say, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to fly 3,000 miles and not ask about Elder Scrolls Six at least a little sure, bit. Sure, go ahead. Even Fair though... question. I get asked a lot. <laughs> but I get asked in the house. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it is fair to say that it's, it's going to be roughly, probably, 15 years between Elder Scrolls games. Because you're busy with another little thing called Starfield, which we're, we'll yes. talk about in a minute as well. People could do the math on our, <laughs> what our schedules look like. So... Um, it, do you th- is that a good thing, do you think, or, or is that not ideal? Like, sort of, as far as both creatively, but also for the health and success of, of a franchise that keeps the lights on in this, right. in this awesome studio? Well, look, I think that's a really great question and a way of putting it. You know, for me, when I look at franchises, is it, is it, is it vibrant? Okay, it's, Skyrim still is. Um, Elder Scrolls Online is huge. It's one of yeah. the biggest online games in the world, and that, that's part of our company, even though our studio isn't developing it. We work with them. I think they've done an absolutely phenomenal job. So when I look at the Elder Scrolls as a franchise, you know, is it healthy? Is it doing well? Yes, 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 yes. Would you plan to have the kind of gap we're having between Skyrim and the follow-up? I can't say that's a good thing. <laughs> Right. We, I wish I could wave a wand and, and the game that we want to make and we have in our head, we're starting things on, just came out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but there's other things we want to do. Right. Um, obviously, Fallout 4 was a huge success. We spent a lot of time on that. We wanted to, you know, go into online with Fallout 76. We wanted to, we felt doing something like Starfield, something we've wanted to do something else for a long time and, and play in a new universe. Kind of like, well, if not now, I'm going back in time. We started in right after Fallout 4, so 2015, end mm-hmm. of it. If not now, when? And I felt like the when, if we didn't do it then, the when could be never. Um, and so we, we felt pretty good with where Elder Scrolls was as a franchise, particularly with Elder Scrolls Online. That, yeah. Hey, now's time we can do Starfield. You know, that being said, everything takes longer than, than we would like as well, but we want to make sure we, we get it right. And... Um, you know, hopefully Elder Scrolls 6, you don't want to say like, hey, that's worth that kind of weight, but that it does stand up to the series as it has been in a really big, impactful way for, for when it comes out. It would seem like just working on one Elder Scrolls game after the next might get creatively exhausting. And then you guys got the Fallout IP and were able to alternate. And, the, and it would seem like that's a that would be creatively healthy for the team for both games right. to, to, to go back and forth. And now, uh, with, with what will be such a, a big gap between Elder Scrolls V and Elder Scrolls VI, is, you know, will, it, will there be kind of a little extra creative rejuvenation there when you, when you guys really dive fully back in? Well, our games take so long, and we do have Fallout as well, so that does keep the creative juices flowing. To your point, though, even for us, it had been so long. And we are doing some work that that you do feel it feels like there's an extra spark that like we miss it as well. And the things we want to do with it um, feel very, very fresh. But I could say that about Starfield was all new. Right. But it was so new that you had no basis. You're kind of starting from scratch. And that's also can be had its own challenges. You know, what does a spaceship look like? We spent forever on that till we felt we really got it where 
hey, this feels unique, this feels like this game. When you go into a, a franchise, a, a, a sequel, so to say, you have that basis of what you've done before, how people reacted to it, and then, but you still, for us, I like to you know, wipe the slate clean and say, okay, what does it mean to be a fantasy role-playing game now? The kind of games we want to do where you're stepping into a virtual world. What does that mean? Don't think about making a sequel. Right. Start fresh. Um, and that's a great kind of exercise for all of us. Really, really energizing. Well, I guess what about Fallout while we're talking about it? Because that almost feels like, you know, you've, you've got Starfield. You have a release date that's in, I'm going to call it pencil on the calendar. You've, <laughs> you've penciled it right now. I don't think any, no game release dates get written in ink anymore until like, They've yeah, we wrote it pretty hard in that trailer. So. <laughs> well, I want to ask you about that in a minute, but um, that and felt then, like some ink. But uh, yeah. okay, well, hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts, with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. We'll get to that in a second. Sure. But, uh, but then you've, you know, you've seemingly publicly committed to Elder Scrolls Six being the thing after Starfield. Sure. So... Does does Fallout uh, just go to the back of the line? As far as main line, you know, yes, there's 76, but as far as the main line Fallout, right. is that going to the back of the line? Or is that a thing where you've now got an entire uh, Xbox family at your back and people sure. like In Exile and Obsidian? And is there is there a scenario where you hand Fallout off? I don't see, look, Fallout's really part of our DNA here. Yeah. We've worked with other people from time to time. I can't say what's going to happen. You know, we have a one-pager on, on Fallout 5, what we want to do. Again, if I could wave my hand and say, have, have <laughs> right. that out. Um, you know, I'd like to find a way to accelerate what we do. Um, but I, I can't really say today uh, or commit to anything what's going to happen when other than, hey, our cadence is Starfield and then Elder Scrolls Because you guys have always been, BGS is, your team is, is it is it one team or is there more than one like I like core to view team? it as one big team and then we have we have groups that focus on one game. So you could look at the Fallout 76 team, mostly based in Austin yeah. right now. And that's a full team that you would put on a game, but they work on other things. And a lot of people here in Rockville worked on 76 and Montreal and Dallas as well. And so we've always sort of done it that way so that um we can move people between projects and everybody knows, like everybody knows they're going to, they're going to work on Elder Scrolls six in some fashion. Um, and I think that's really, really good for the health of the studio yeah. and the games themselves where we're able to bring expertise onto it at the right times, not burn people out such. But is it fair to say then that, that Todd Howard's team that is responsible for Elder Scrolls, mainline fallout and Starfield 
works on mostly like one game at a time. We're focused on one at a Fo time. Yeah. We are work, we tend to, you know, pre-production for me, I mean, I like it to be like two years. So you might have a small group on yeah. it and do something and then say, let's pause, let's come back. I think that makes a difference what we're doing. When we're really going full bore, where most of the studio is on something, that can be anywhere from 12 months to 24 months. Um, but that's, it's true the way you said it, okay. that we're going to focus on that. There's, just, there's, there's more overlap, I think, than do a game, stop, do a game. So Starfield is written in ink for November 11th, 2022, <laughs> per your words, which seemingly would indicate that it's in pretty good shape uh, as far as... We have our challenges. <laughs> I, will not, I can't sit here and say, uh, you know, it's a very, very ambitious game. Yeah. Um, look, we were, you know, confident about the date when we put that out there. And but our main focus is just making the best game that we possibly can. And it's a very, very ambitious game. And we, we've been through this a number of times, so. Your team's last big game, because again, 76 was Austin. Well, it was us as well, so, but yeah. But, was, um, I know you're headed. But yeah, you, you know, we're on a new, new console generation, right. and uh, like the, the tech gap that you talked about, like going from Morrowind to, sure. to Oblivion, or, or we, we're probably going to be seeing that really again with Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six, right? From there, from, uh, compared to Skyrim. It's been a huge jump. It's, 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 Probably our biggest ever. I could say Morrowind to Oblivion. That had been our biggest. This now feels bigger to us. Um, and we felt it was time. And, and we could really take advantage of the new systems. You know, redoing the render and the, the basic underlying guts of the engine itself. Yeah. And that, um, you know, the results on the screen, we're very, very happy with. It's taking us longer, as always, than we would like, particularly during the pandemic to yeah. put those parts together and you're whenever you do an engine overhaul you we're still making data right and so we're still doing a lot of art and design and levels and spaces and things like that and then the engine is changing and figuring out when those sync up is one of the great challenges that that all game developers uh, deal with so we're kind of in the midst of that uh, we had we had been and we're, we're coming through it so you, you kind of have you know the, the new tech also opens up some new options and I mean it's been really cool to see these modern consoles really embrace more a lot more PC like choice in terms of give me you know 4k ray traced dial up everything but 30 frames per second or you know maybe dial down my effects and I want that sure. 60 frames per second um, where what is your how do you like to play your games would you hmm. would you prefer to go like starfield just crank visual fidelity as high as it can go to fully immerse yourself in that world and at the trade off of you know some frame rate or uh, or would you are you more of like a frame rate guy and and go ahead and you know I'll take a, a, a little step down on the visuals it depends on the game. I think for our games, I'm more of a 30 frames a second I'm fidelity uh, person. If I'm playing like a Forza or something or yeah, a sports Halo. game where yeah. I can really, I think it matters for what I'm experiencing. I prefer 60. But for our style game, I honestly feel 30 feels great. And I'd rather, I'd rather have all the little bits and shiny pixels and yeah. be able to pick up the cups and, you know. I, I like that level of immersion, but that that not, doesn't mean that you know that's for everybody. Right, I'm totally with you for whatever okay. it's worth. Yeah, I'm, I want to I want to soak myself in that universe that you created. That's 
Uh, and it's nice to have that choice because like with Oblivion, we didn't, you know, in Skyrim, there wasn't that choice at the time. It was, well, it's going to be, right, you know, right, 720p right. and we'll get it as, uh, as close yeah. to 30 as often as we can. And frankly, even resolution, you know, I think most people can't tell, you know, does it have to be true 4K? It's like, okay, what's the overall image quality? What does right. it look like when you sit in front of your PC or on your sofa? Um, and just how immersive is it? And so that's usually, so even on resolution, we'll, you know, there are various systems we have and most games have for, hey, if it's, if it's get, action's getting too heavy, it can dynamically lower it. And yeah. you generally can't tell unless Digital Foundry tells you so. They do a great job. <laughs> they do a great right? job, yes. Um, and so we generally like, okay, if the, if the player really can't tell, if this isn't affecting their experience in that way, um, it's a good trade-off. So let me circle back now to this 11-11-22 thing. Sure. Um, Which I'm regretting. You're really you like go. calling yeah. your shit. It's like a Ruthian like. No, I was just saying <laughs> we put it in a trailer like it's on the screen. It's not wasn't pencil, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't, you know, what's what is your deal with 1111? Is that like a luck? Is 11 a lucky number for you? Just I, I mean, I'm being serious. I like, are, is it like your lucky number? Because you seem a little to, bit. Yeah. And that's cool. I like it visually. Well, Skyrim, yeah. I was 11, 11, 11. If you were here in the company, there were a lot of release dates being bandied around, and I was unmovable. I was like, this is the perfect date. Come on. Um, and then as it came around to Starfield, we lined things up and adding buffer where things, it kind of landed, you know, around there. I was like, hey, this would feel really, really good. Yeah. There's a weird wrinkle in it. Okay. Which is in Europe versus North America, they flip the days. That's true. So there's always this, when you're doing advertising stuff, if the day and the month are the same, you don't have to change it, which is this great <laughs> added benefit. I thought it looked really cool in the trailer too. So, so, so you feel good about it then? You're, you're. I don't know if I ever feel good. I'm usually confident. You know, this is how things line up. Um, but we want to do the best job we can, and there's there's still so much to do. Yeah. Um, I feel good about the game. Yeah. And we're confident about the date. But is Scott, is Starfield like more or less done, and you're just polishing the hell out of it to get no. ready for eleven eleven or? No, we're we're at a state where we can play the whole game. Yeah. But again, there's so much to do. It's a very, very ambitious game. And we're not going to let off the gas there. Um, and given how the world's gone, it's it's hard to project exactly what's going to happen when. And, and and we honestly just, we, we do our best. Yeah. And um, it's been, look, in the grand scheme of the world, we have it great. But creatively getting together and, and making those creative decisions and looking at a game together has definitely been challenging for all game developers yeah. uh, during this time. And you see that. We're a little bit fortunate that, you know, the leads on the project and a lot of our staff have worked together for so long that our ability to do that, whether we're sitting at home and we're also, we have other studios. We'd always right. kind of done remote work where we're talking to somebody in Montreal or Texas and so those things have worked out really, really, really well for us. Um, and it, for us, it's really, is the work show on the screen? And it, it really, really is. So. The, the band has been together for a while, right? Have, to come yeah. back so to that? Yeah. So it's, we have that resilience in dealing with, <laughs> dealing with unknowns. We've yeah. dealt with it really on, on every game. Um, how has, uh, let's tie it together here. Would you say has Skyrim influenced Starfield at all? I know you, you've, you did a game in between that with Fallout 4, but... Um, you know, you're creating a new thing with Starfield. Is is there an is there a Skyrim or Elder General Elder Scrolls influence in it? I think it 
it's part of our DNA, right? So those things that we like, being able to touch the world and, you know, what are you looting from people and how do the factions? So I think there is, there is more Skyrim in terms of game structure in Starfield. Um, now that you mention it, the way the factions work, the skill system is, is really, really, uh, really, really like the skill system in Starfield. And it borrows a bit from things we've done in Fallout and Elder Scrolls. So I think this is part of our DNA. You're going to see those hallmarks in kind of anything we do that is, as you say, kind of a mainline yeah. uh, Bethesda game. I think some people want to hear that Starfield is Skyrim in space, and other people, that's the last thing they want to hear, and they want they want it to, they want it to be something completely new. How would how I would say it's Skyrim of... in space? I say in all the best ways. <laughs> in all the best ways. Fair yes. enough. Yeah. I'm also kind of curious what. Uh, what what the how how Indiana Jones fits into everything? Sure. Too. So you're, you're anybody that may not be familiar, you are announced as being the executive producer of Machine Games in the Bethesda mm-hmm. family. Machine Games is Indiana Jones game. So like, what exactly does that mean? Well, I can give you sort of the background of it. Um, first, when I executive produce things, that's a game that I'm kind of checking in on. Right? It's not a daily thing. It might yeah. be once a week. It might be once a month, depending on the state of the game, and then. So there's a number of things I kind of executive produce. And then if I'm directing a game, that's more of a daily activity. Right. Um, um, the Indiana Jones game, that, I am like, I love Indiana Jones. People who know me, like, I'm obsessed with Indiana Jones. It's like, Raiders of the Lost Ark is the best thing ever put to film, no debate. Um, and for a long time, I had, I, I had met some people at Lucas way back in the day and said, oh, I have this Indiana Jones game in my head. And I, I got chatting with them, and they're like, that's awesome. You should come out and pitch it. So I went out to Lucasfilm, and I pitched this game, and we almost made it. This was like 10, 12 years ago. Okay. And it kind of, obviously, we were doing other things. Like, we, were, we didn't really necessarily have the bandwidth. Right. Like, hey, Todd, what team? Like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> um, and, you know, hey, fast forward to kind of current day, and... Now they're part of Disney and they're starting to license. I got a conversation with somebody there that mm-hmm. I know, John Drake, who I was, know him was well, a Sony, yeah. love John. And we, we got to chatting with, and I said, oh, I have this Indiana Jones game. And he was like, tell me more. I'm like, is this possible? And so internally, um, you know, really love the work Machine Games does. We Everybody knows each other really, really well. And I, I mentioned to them, like, hey, is this something that might interest you? There might be a possibility I mean, here. They worked on Riddick. They've done licensed things very well Riddick, before. I think the Riddick on the original, original Xbox. Xbox is unbelievable. It's like you look at the tech level of that game at the time before Doom, which is also one of like yeah. it's amazing. It's unbelievable. It's yeah. incredible. Um, and the work they've done on Wolfenstein and scenes and characters, I just think they're incredible developers. And so I brought up to them, like, hey, something that might interest you. And they said, absolutely. And they're good at the Nazi stuff, right? So um they're making the game. I'm involved creatively. Like, hey, what's the game going to be? What's the? I had this original story, and we've worked on it sort of together. So I spent a little bit of time on it. They're, it's their, you know, they're running with it. They're doing an amazing job, and so I'm just happy to, to lend a hand and be involved. Something else I was that's happened since you and I last chatted. Uh, you interviewed, or you you were in a little conversation with Elon Musk at E3 in 2019, sure. the last E3 that we had. The, the E3 to end all E3s, as it, as it turned oh, out. Oh, I hope not. I hope it comes back. I hope I am, I am with you. Yeah, right. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting back in 2022. I'm just kind of curious how that came about. Like, what was the... Because that... that and, and also, what was that experience like for you? I know you're a 
a Tesla customer yourself. Sure. As am I. But like, how, how do you end up on a stage in a conversation with Elon Musk? Yeah, we know each other a little bit and had traded messages. You know, he likes video games. He loves Fallout. I like space. Fallout I like, Shelter is in. You can play it in your Tesla. Right. Um, I like space. I like cars. And so we, we, we would talk about those things. And um, I'd been out to SpaceX and it was something that Jeff Keeley, who runs that that stage stage show there, tries right. to really put together interesting groups. And it was something we had tried to do. Um, didn't work out timing wise, actually, in some previous E3s. And it he was available and, and wanted to do it. And um, you know, it was very uh, um, really kind of cool moment for for all of us. You gonna sneak any SpaceX Easter eggs into Starfield? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, uh, to wrap this up, just kind of final thoughts. Skyrim's 10th anniversary, like, what, what does that mean to you when, you when you stop and think about the fact that this is being celebrated and it's still a vibrant thing and, and that people still love it and play it 10 years on? You know, it's, it's surreal. We, we have a lot of pride. We feel very, like I said, very, very blessed to be in this position, sort of think about how many games have been able to do that or have like a 10th anniversary even addition. Yeah. Um, and I, I wouldn't know the, the list, but I was sort of, well, I, I can't think of many. Um, and so, you know, it's really a testament to, I think, our, our fans really. You know, they're the ones who've, who've kept it alive, uh, who keep, you know, the memes going on the internet and <laughs> talking about and putting videos up, making mods, sharing it. And it's really, even though it's not a multiplayer game, there's this social element to it um, that is so strong that we're just um, so overjoyed to kind of be a part of that and have it splash on us. So, Do you, social elements and, and multiplayer have kind of creeped in and infused into, into almost everything now? Is it, you know, are you still, still feel really, really strongly about the, the importance of a quality single player experience like Starfield and is... Very and much, yes. Your I games think, will still stay as solo experiences? Absolutely. I think that's where, um, you know, even in 76, once we, you know, added the Wastelanders and that kind of questing stuff, the amount of people that want to play it as a solo experience um, is very, very strong. It's, it's part of who we are. It's what we, we love about games. That being said, there are various ways that you can talk about adding social elements to a game that I don't, I don't think take away from that. Yeah. And we've dabbled with some of that and not put it out or things on paper or things that we, we'd like to try in our game. So I don't want to rule that out. 76 has really ended up being a great experience for us and a great learning one. Um, but our, our passion is behind who are you going to be? This world is for you. Go make it your own. Well, Todd Howard, happy 10th anniversary Thank you. to the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, the game that surrounds us here at Bethesda. Uh, you can play it in the anniversary edition on yes. uh, pretty much all platforms, I think. Or at least and the, the next generation platforms have a few extra. I believe it's on everything. Bells and whistles, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's on your refrigerator. It's on your toaster. It's, it's With everywhere. Alexa, it is. Yeah, it's everywhere you want to play it. Uh, Todd Howard, thank you so Thanks. much. Thanks. Great to see you again. Great to see you. And for more from the best, brightest, and most interesting minds in the games industry, keep it tuned every month or so to right here on IGN Unfiltered.
Hi, I'm Essie, one of the hosts of Bitches on Comics, the most welcoming place for LGBTQ plus folks and women to chat comics, fiction, and pop culture. Bitches are both wanted and encouraged on our podcast. We speak with amazing guests about the media they've created, critiqued, and loved. And you don't have to just take our word for the great time we're having over here. We've been named a Best Comic Book Podcast by several publications, including Book Riot, The Mary Sue, and Comic Book Herald. So tune in and listen to us talk with your faves like Carmen Maria Machado, Amy Chu, Mari Naomi, Anthony Oliveira, and many, many others. Our whole goal is to include more folks in the comic book and pop culture world and to help new readers find comics and speculative books they'll love, with no shade for being new. You can find Bitches on Comics wherever you get your podcasts, and you can learn more at bitchesoncomics.com.